You are what you think. You become what you think. What you think becomes reality. Growing up with that in my bathroom mirror every day made me think that I have control over my own reality from an early age. And that was very helpful because it was ingrained into my mind from day one. And I think that that's led to a lot of great things for me. And I think that the people out there listening to this should understand that they have a huge control over reality. And the quicker that they seize that, the quicker they understand the concept and seize control, the better off they will be. That's the voice of Bill Helmuth, who has become a one in a million achiever in life. He's the most accomplished tournament player in professional poker history with 15 World Series of Poker Championships. From my own experience playing poker, I can tell you that it requires an incredibly diverse set of skills and competencies. And Phil Helmuth has proven himself against the smartest and best players in the world for over 30 years now. Even more important, Phil's influence in the world now transcends poker. He's a New York Times bestselling author, an advisor to multiple companies, an active philanthropist, and an inspiration to millions around the world. Phil is a living example of positivity, who believes that you are always in the right place at the right time, and that your success comes from your beliefs, habits, and actions. Today, you will gain an insight into the mind and heart of a brilliant champion in life, my friend, Phil Helmuth. Welcome to Changing Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. This podcast was originally created to spotlight the leaders, alumni, and friends of the Cutco Vector Marketing community who are leveraging their positive influence to empower people all over the world to change their lives. Every few weeks, we go outside of the Cutco Vector sphere to bring you a guest who is teaching others how to have a more successful and fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. The special guests we bring to you here in episodes like today's are successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. The lessons they share are compelling, real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I have a very special guest today is my friend, Mr. Phil Helmuth. Many of you know Phil as the best-known poker player in the world. Way back in 1989, Phil won the World Series of Poker main event at age 24. He became the youngest person ever to win that event at that time. He has gone on to win 15 World Series of Poker Championships. That is the most by five of anyone else in the entire world. And what's amazing about Phil is that his impact now greatly transcends poker. That's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Phil advises companies. Phil has written several books. He has an impact on a lot of people beyond just the world of poker. I'm really excited to be able to share his insights and his story here today. Phil Helmuth, thank you so much and welcome to the podcast. How's it going, Dan? It's great. Happy to have you here, man. Should I start with a quick Dan story? Dan Cassetta story? Go for it. 
<laughs> okay, so you reached out to me. You're like, hey, I have this group of amazing guys. We get together. And how would you like to come? And I was like, okay. I mean, I said, okay. But, you know, I wasn't necessarily enthusiastic because I know so many people. And then I thought, man, I, I don't do this to me, Dan. Don't do this to me. He's going to call me four or five days before because he's worried about how I'm going to act or behave. And I'm like, <laughs> don't do this to me. Don't. Do no, he's smart enough to know that I'm going to handle myself. Sure enough, about four or five days, Phil, do you? And I'm like, fuck, I knew this phone call was coming. And you did that. And I was like, oh, boy. But I went. And it was just a great experience. A great group of people you had at that table. And uh, I think it went as amazing as it could. I think that people fell in love with my authenticity and honesty and kind of liked my message. And I felt very close to the group right away. And this led to some amazing things for me because Niccolo DeMasi, uh, he called me to invite me into his first SPAC. I had invited him to my book launch party hosted by Sheryl Sandberg. And we had Elon Musk there. We had uh, Elizabeth Holmes was there. It was a great group. People flew in from England to be at my book launch party. I'm like, what is going on here? Chamath was there. Vivek uh, Ranadive was there, the owner of the Kings. Yeah, great, great group of people. I remember that. Great group of people. And so, yeah. And then so what happened is, you know, when Niccolo called me, then he, you know, he announced he was going to launch a SPAC. He called me and he's like, hey, and I'm like, I'm going to stretch and put 300,000 in into this thing. Uh, you know, which if the SPAC doesn't fill or it doesn't de-SPAC, you lose whatever you put in. On the other hand, you get multiple of three on your money. So I thought, Niccolo's smart. I'll put in 300. It's 900. He's going to double that. I'm going to walk with 1.8 million. And then I brought the first company into the SPAC, Rush Street Interactive. And so basically, I was paid a couple million dollar bonus for finding the company. But all of this because of you know you dan partly at least because of you for opening that door we did another spac and another spac i put five hundred thousand the next one five hundred thousand the next one one of them is doubled so that's 1.5 that's three million from that one deal and so it's been a lot of fun for me but anyway you opened that door for me and uh, you did it 90 percent right you just didn't have to call you should have trusted me a little bit more <laughs> I can remember that this lunch, Phil, that you and I had about a week before the few days before the dinner event. And I went there to tell you about the guys that were in the group. Like I was just going to introduce everyone to you and kind of make sure you knew who was in the group and then sort of trust that you would know how to how to be in that in that situation. I remember you using the words poker brat in a sentence while we were there. And that like just right away got me to say, well, yeah, poker brat, you know, the poker brat persona, right? Probably won't fly with these guys. And you look me in the eye and you're like, Dan, you can't invite me to a dinner and expect me not to talk. <laughs> and then you look me in the eye again and you go, don't worry, man, I got this. I hang around guys like this all the time. <laughs> so that was my, yeah, I mean, like to me, I was already hanging out with the masters of the universe in Silicon Valley. Right. To me, I mean, like, it's just crazy group of a bunch of billionaires that have just kind of done it. And so to me, I was like, okay, who knew am I going to meet? But not in a negative way, but just like, and I think you also set up our first meeting to be, uh, to be opposed to a poker game. I was with my friends and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> should I cancel? And I'm like, no, I can't cancel. I have to show up. And uh, it was great. You know, I mean, it was, you really put together a fine group of people and, and I enjoyed it. And, uh, 
most of all, I think that the, they were very, uh, they were super happy that I was there, which was good. You know? Yeah. The, the guys loved you and ha- have ever since then. Now it's five years later. And I do feel like I know you a whole lot better after that. Obviously, I didn't know you before that. I mean, we had had a conversation in an airplane uh, before that. And so, you know, I was able to connect well enough with you in a short flight that uh, we traded some contact info. But other than that, I didn't Dude, know. Dude, one more, one more yeah. Dan story is your wife helped my son. Your wife basically does what my son does, except like, obviously a much higher level she is. She's your wife's killing it. And she opened the door for him at Citibank. And a year later, he took a job at Citibank. Your wife had left by then. But, you know, I mean, so thank you uh, for connecting me with your group. And, and my son thanks. And he still calls your wife, you know, once a month, once every other month to check in. And, you know, so thanks for that, Dan. You've had a lot of positivity in my life. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Phil. And I just think that uh, relationships are important. And uh, my philosophy on relationships is to invest in relationships without any expectation. And that in doing that, we tend to get a lot of great things that happen. And I've, I've been able to uh, enjoy having you at events, been able to learn from you. I've been grateful to be able to count you as a friend, Phil. So it's, uh, it's definitely been mutually beneficial. So I appreciate it. And I introduced you to the guys at Brain Fuel and uh, the Horns and to uh, Matt Jarvis at Cash Live. And those two things are picking up right now and could be really exciting. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I know that Matt, you know, Matt wanted me to be on his advisory board. And I said, well, let's just wait. You know, let's see what this thing looks like. And now he and I are talking again. This is a couple of years later. Uh, I once he made it in the Snapchat incubator, Cash Live. Then I was like, all right, I have to invest. And so in the last few weeks, we've having discussions about having me get involved either as an advisory or someone that can, you know, tweet out about the game and, and bring an audience. So, you know, there's two roles that, that I've been adding for companies. One is advisory. One is uh, I don't know what's the term for it, uh, face of, or what, what are we talking about? Um, yeah, promotions. When you represent a, promotions, yeah, I would say. Promotions, right, right. So those are the two things, and, and it's amazing. I'm on 13 or 14 advisory boards as an advisor, not as a promoter. So I find that interesting. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun with that. The founders usually like my strategic thinking from the first phone call. They like my network. Uh, a deep network, and I've been able to raise a lot of money for a lot of different founders. So it's been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, hey, I'd love for the audience to get to know a little bit about you. I, I don't think uh, most people know a lot of your early life story. Could you take us back and tell us a little bit about your personal background? Well, you know, let's start at the beginning. And, uh, you know, why am I the poker brat? And that started when I was age seven. And I had a six-year-old brother and a five-year-old sister and a two-year-old sister and a baby for a sister. So four underneath me. Now, when you're a seven-year-old and and you're a guy, you are not going to get any attention from your parents at all, right? And my dad was working a fair amount of hours. and, And so there's no attention there. Now, in addition to that, my dad was a PhD, JD, MBA man, all the letters you can imagine, more letters than anyone else I know of. And so then that led to, you know, and my dad was working on his actively working on his PhD, which means that he would come home for years and if he worked nine to five and he'd sit on the couch and write his PhD and occasionally look up and one sister was playing a violin and the other was playing the cello and, you know, and uh, everybody's trying to get attention, attention. 
So uh, for me, and then so, so there was this massive pressure as the leader of the five kids to get good grades. Well, I had my version of letters called ADD. <laughs> now, now they call it ADD. Yeah, well, my version's not so good for getting grades. And I was no athletic superstar either. So, you know, because of that, there was a lot of pressure on me to get good grades from my, from my father. And that led to a very kind of a lot of fighting. And everyone else below said, you know what, rather than fight with our father, we're just going to spend an extra half an hour a day or hour a day and make sure that we get the grades. So they all got great grades. They were all better athletic than me. They all played instruments. And so my estimation of myself based on my father was I didn't have good grades. I wasn't athletic. And so I felt like a failure. So my self-esteem was low. I didn't have a lot of close friends either. So I think that leads to real self-esteem issues. And so the one thing I had to do was win at all the games we played. Imagine now 14-year-old Phil and a 13-year-old brother and a 12-year-old sister and a, you know, whatever, nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. And we'd play a lot of games. Well, I had to win at every game. I had a huge inherent advantage because I was the oldest. And so, but the one skill that was super important to me was learning new games. I could learn, like, I have a world-class level of learning new games. So just imagine when I'm playing my brother at the table and, you know, at our, at our summer home in Monaco, Wisconsin, beautiful home. We had, we owned, you know, hundreds of acres and we owned like, you know, a couple thousand feet of, you know, of the square footage. Cause my father was a famous doctor and made a lot of money. And, but there were a role we're playing backgammon and he'd roll double sixes, double fives to beat me. I'd go crazy. <laughs> because I'd be a poker bat. What the hell else did I have in my life? I was already bad at grades. I couldn't play instruments. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends. And then I, to lose a game, especially one that was absurdly unlucky, where I completely outplayed him, and he had rolled double fives and double sixes to beat me. That led to me just going crazy because I had nothing else to li live for. Is a strong word, but I had nothing else to stand for, mm -hmm. nothing else to be proud of, and so. Beating my younger brothers and sisters at games was super important to my self-esteem. And, you know, so then that leads to, you talk about poker brat. So that just leads to even in my 50s, when someone beats me a hand that they're not supposed to beat me or a series of hands over a couple of hours that they're not supposed to win, I will go crazy. And I play with all these amazing, you know, I found all these amazing people on the planet. You know, Chamath is Palihapati is my best friend. That group is amazing. Super group, really. Uh, and, you know, we play with some of the Warriors players and uh, who I kind of initially brought in. And, you know, it's it's been just an amazing group of people. It's a very intimate for us to, to get together. And, and we've all become friends. Nobody asks anybody for anything. And so it's been just a very nice intimate group of people that can can play poker together and it's kind of brought out for me the social aspects of poker which as a pro you forget they exist and even in that game i'll lose it and for the first few years they videotape me they have some great videos of me just going off over, <laughs> you know, over small pots five six thousand dollar pots you know i've seen and them now yeah and but these videos they, they have all their private collection of phil losing at videos right and then they all just jump up and laugh and videotape me and i'm just like so that's not acting that's just me you know with a hangover of a low self-esteem not being able to handle myself while at the table 
Shamath and I, Shamath has really taught me when he and I are hanging out and, and we have, and we'll we'll have some kind of bet or something, to handle myself perfectly well. And even if I lose a lot of money, say congratulations and shake his hand. But that's because he's demanded more from me as a best friend. And I'm proud that he's made me grow up, but that doesn't extend to filming or any anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> the only guy that can beat me a really bad beat where I might not ever say a word is Chamath. I'll be like, nice aunt. Yeah, that's cool. So the origin of the poker brat goes back to these days as a kid. You're the oldest of five. You guys are playing all kinds of games in the house and you've got to win because, right, you're, you weren't good at other stuff and, you know, you wanted to impress your dad and be able to be successful and games were your outlet and you often won or usually won, but when you didn't, the explosion would happen. And that uh, carried you into other things in life later. That's pretty funny. Translated, and you know, listen, I mean, then, then you know, the producers of the shows came up to me. Matt Morantz, who was four, who started 441 Productions, who was behind the original ESPN stuff. Matt lives in New York. I love Matt. He's a great guy. I remember when he came and so what came into town in Vegas and he and I went out for sushi and, you know, he's like, I think I'm going to make you really famous. I'm like, yeah. And I said, well, I hopefully I'll make the production company a bunch of money. You know, you look about Steve Lipscomb, who started the world poker tour. These guys wanted me to be myself. They wanted me to lose it because that was great for ratings. Right. right? And so they were encouraging me to lose it. And I'd have sometimes get him on the phone and make him say it out loud. You know, oh, we just want you to be yourself. What does that mean? I'd keep trapping them until they say, I'm like, you, what you really want is me to lose it on television. They're like, well, those are your words and whatever, you know? So I, I was encouraged to do that. It was never an act. That's just me. And it's just unfortunate that I lose it. And I try to get better at it and I've gotten much better as the decades pass. I get better and better at it, but I'm going to be emotional. And, uh, and there's just, I just hate losing more than anybody else hates losing on the planet, which means yeah. I want to win more. The other professionals, top pros will say, Phil wants to win more than we do. Yeah. What do you think is greater for you, wanting to win or wanting to avoid losing? <laughs> do, you, do you love winning more than you hate losing? I think what ultimately drives me is the hate for the losing, right? But I mean, of course, winning is sweet, right? I mean, like anytime you win a bracelet, I mean, it's, it's an amazing moment, right? I mean, like it was a lifetime, I've had a lifetime goal. In the 1980s, I wrote a lifetime goal to become the greatest poker player of all time. And pretty much within a couple of years, changed that to win 24 bracelets, you know? And so World Series of Poker Bracelets, now I'm at 15. So every time you win one, it's a really sweet moment. It's really nice. You celebrate, you know, there's part of you that's these days, these are, it's often a three-day tournament and you're just completely spent at the end of it. It's 3 a.m. on day three and you have the bracelet. But then the competitive part of you wants to play the tournament the next day. I've learned that I should never play the next day. My mind is too gone. When you're a warrior, you're thinking, hey, this is great. But what about tomorrow? Phil, after this childhood with playing games, I know you went to University of Wisconsin. What got you into playing poker? Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I found a game at the Memorial Union one night. Uh, I was playing basketball with somebody who... I mean, I think I was 20 at the time and he was 40. So he seemed ancient to me. It's kind of funny how your perspectives change. So anyway, yeah, there was a guy, guy so oh, I think I'm going to, like after the game, I was like, I think I, I might go play poker. I might go home. And uh, I was like, poker? And so I went and it was like a 25 cent dealer Annie. No one else Annie game. Like $5 buy-in. 
but they were playing Texas Hold'em or a version of Hold'em. And that's kind of where I found the game. And, and then once you start beating the small game, it always leads to, to bigger games. And within a year, I was in what I call the doctor's game, which was filled with PhDs, MDs. The youngest guy in that game was maybe 40, and I was 19 or 20. I was 20. And so I'm the only student in the game. And, just, and I just thought at that point, I was trained to believe that if you have a PhD and a JD and MD, if you're a professor, a doctor, a lawyer, that that is the top of the top of where you could be because we all push education to our children. And my parents push that. My grandparents push that. And I thought, wow, it's pretty extraordinary that I'm with this group uh, and I'm only 20. And then I started winning big, big money. Next thing you know, I had big money for, for me at the time. Next thing I knew, I had 20000 in the bank. I paid off my student loans. And I'm like, what is this? And then you start going to Vegas and you get out there and I lost the first 10 trips, a lot of gambling too. I'd played Baccarat and craps, but mostly Baccarat and blackjack. And then you learn that those games aren't very good. That's a random walk downward. You have to learn the hard way, but learning the hard way when you're 21 is the perfect time to learn it. And uh, so we made a lot of trips. And finally, by trip number 11, I started winning. And then by the time I was 24, I'd won the main event, and that was 750000 which is, I don't know, 5 or $10 million today. A lot of money. And then you spend your lifetime struggling with ego, doing the best you can. So you're winning the games in Wisconsin. You build up a bankroll. You start heading to Vegas to go play. When did you feel like you knew you were going to be a professional player? About then, when I was 20, 21 years old. I'm like, all right. I mean, because... I didn't have anything else going on. I tried to make it into business school. I got rejected. And once the University of Wisconsin rejected me in business school, and I got a 3.78 that last semester just to show them I could do it, but that wasn't good enough. And they said no to me. So I was kind of studying accounting and philosophy, which is poker. And the next thing you know, I dropped out because if I can't go to business school, why am I in school? And I dropped out of school and I started pursuing this full-time and uh, there was a moment in my life that was a life-changing day for me. I have my whatever, $25,000, $30,000 in the bank, and there's a local game I'm playing in, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm playing with this game more had uh, waitresses, waiters in it, more like a game you can win or lose $100, $200 in. And so I was kind of grinding it up in those games, and I remember waking up one day and saying, man... I have 25000 in the bank. I don't want to go grind out $500 or $300. And I was just restless and I didn't sleep well. And I'm like, can I go golfing? But there was still snow on the ground and, and uh, it was starting to melt. But anyway, so I go to this game and I'm bored immediately. And somebody says, hey, we're going to go to the bar. And I go with them to the bar and I smoke pot with them. I was never a big pot guy. And we're having drinks and it's, I don't know, four in the afternoon. And I'm like sitting there and we're playing pool for $20 a game. And I'm, I'm kind of not good at pool. I'm getting hustled or whatever. I didn't just like, the, I, I wouldn't say I'm getting hustled. Maybe the game was just barely fair. But the point is, I'm like, what in the hell are you doing with your life? You're in a bar at 4 p.m. You smoke pot and you're on your second drink. This is just, there's something wrong. And I'm like, that's it. This is not my life. And I, I remember thinking about that Talking Heads song, many days go by, water flowing underground. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. And I just thought, wow, if, if I just let the stream continue, I'm going to be here when I'm 40. What is this? And I'm just like, I got to get out of here. And I opened the door to 
to leave, probably once one of the side doors, and boom, I'm hit by this light, the sunshine that's coming right into my face. I've been in a dingy bar, and it's bouncing off the snow, which is melting in the street in front of me. So there's a little, there's some snow, and then there's a street. The snow's melting, and the glare is thrown into my face, into my face. The glare from the sun, the glare from all of the, you know what I mean? And it was kind of like an awakening for me, right? Uh, both figuratively and literally, with the sun bashing into my head. Got a taxi, got over there, went back to my house, and I said, "All right, if you're going to be a professional poker player, you're going to become." one of the greatest. And this is what you're going to do. And I wrote down all of the stuff I just wrote for hours and hours and hours. And uh, I wrote, all right, this is the pyramid of success for you, you know, and that pyramid includes not being a compulsive gambler, not being an alcoholic, not doing drugs, and it includes eating healthy and exercising and all of these things that I developed in this pyramid of success. And then at the very top money management, because money management is the difference between you can have the most talented guys in the world. You have talent level of 99 and your management's zero. You're having trouble paying your bills. You have talent level of 80 and your money management's 100. Your bills are, are always paid. So managing your money, knowing when to risk it, when to quit, all that stuff is so important. And so I wrote all of that down. So I'm going to study and I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to be great at this game. And that was a turning point for me. And then within a year or two, I'd won a couple of major tournaments. And then within a year of that, I won the main event and my father flew out with me for that main event, which was an amazing moment to have my father who had no respect for my bad grades and no respect for my abilities not to have be athletic and, and not to play instruments, but came out to watch the main event and ESPN's covering it. The small little network no one had ever heard of at the time. And it uh, gets heads up between Johnny Chan and I, and I win. And I walk with, we made a small deal, but I walked with 655000 or something. And my dad was there to witness that. And so I think he finally said, hey, listen, you're 24 years old now. I'm going to support what you're doing. And I delivered. And I bought him a new Mercedes Benz. And then I met and married my wife, who's a doctor at Stanford. She has the MD. He loved her right away. They both went to University of Chicago, right? <laughs> We're still happily married 31 years later. And so everything has been hunky-dory. In fact, right now, I'm in New York doing this interview. I'm with my sister Molly's, the baby from the earlier in the story house. And my parents are here with me. We spent six, seven hours yesterday together. And, and after we're done with this interview, we're going to have a nice dinner. And, and, you know, I flew them out to New York to hang out with me and Molly and her children. And so it's, it's a very tight-knit family. But yeah, that kind of, kind of like everything was good between my dad and I from then on. The one who instilled the positivity in me the most is my mom. She had the sign in our bathroom mirror as we grew up. You are what you think. You become what you think. What you think becomes reality. Mm. And we can talk about that in a minute. Great stuff, Phil. I really enjoy hearing the background and all of the story that, that is behind the man. It's definitely cool for everybody to hear. So look, we're not going to talk a lot about poker or you know any of your poker tips or any of that stuff here today. But I do want to ask you this question, which is what do you think is the one thing that most sets you apart from other people in your field? Reading ability, you know, white magic, as I call it. And uh, white magic has no racial connotation at all. It's just that I was trying to explain to another top player why I made a fold when I made a fold. It was based on my reading ability. And I had to repeat myself four times 
It's like the guy didn't understand what reading ability meant because you had 10 million kids come from the internet into poker, a huge injection into our world, which made it just explode. But a lot of them, all the great players from my generation have great reading abilities. And that's how we made it to the top. Their generation, a lot of the guys that are not great at reading and can become still really good because of great mathematical strategies. And so I remember thinking, my God, this is like black magic. Then I thought, well, black magic has too negative a connotation. Reading abilities like black magic. So I'm like, oh, I have white magic. And I used that that day on ESPN. And so, you know, the concept of Phil's white magic is now extended to everything I do at the poker table. But really, I intended it as just reading ability. And that's what separates me. That's what sets me apart. That's awesome. I've always told people when they ask, like, isn't poker luck? I've always told people, I think that poker is a combination of factors, including you have to understand basic strategy. You have to be somewhat decent at math. I personally put emotional control in there as a factor. Luck plays a role for sure. And then people skills is a huge factor, just understanding how is this person thinking right now? How are they feeling right now? How does that feeling that's in their body affect how they're acting and what they might do? Are they more likely to be bluffing right now or are they less likely? And just really gaining that understanding of people. And you seem to have that at a level that has never been seen by anyone ever. And just from watching you on TV, you, you literally have folds I've seen you make where I can remember one where it was like an ace-high flop and you folded ace-king on the flop. Uh, yeah, that's a famous one. That, was, that, that showed up on ESPN. Yeah. And, uh, and I just knew he had it. And so I folded the hand and that freaked out the whole world, the whole poker world. But then all of these new people that were watching all over the world, they're like, how could he fold that hand? How does he know? Right. And the other guy had aces. And the board had come like, I don't know, ace, three, four, ace, nine, deuce, whatever it was. I just folded Ace King fairly quickly. And I remember, you know, the famous, one of the best backgammon player in the world, Paul McGrill, was sitting next to me. He's like, that's a horrible fold. And I'm like, easy fold. And then the guy showed three aces and then everybody freaked out again. And so it was just one of those moments where I was way ahead of my time on the laydowns that I was making, the folds that I was making. And to this day, a lot of the new mathematical branches of poker that are emerging, like GTO, they don't like my big folds. Right. So I'm like, if you know, you know. And so, yeah. So yeah, it's a little, so what I was doing back then is more revolutionary, but, but, that's, but that's it, reading ability. I mean, if you can separate four, if you can fold four hands that no one else could fold, you're going to win a lot more tournaments than everybody else. Yeah, for sure. What do you think are some other qualities that make someone the greatest at whatever it is they're doing? I mean, I've had a chip on my shoulder. Michael Jordan, chip on his shoulder. Tiger Woods, chip on his shoulder. I mean, all a lot of the great ones have a chip on the shoulder, right? And, and I mean, you look at MJ when he makes his Hall of Fame acceptance speech, and he's talking about how he was slighted his sophomore year when he wasn't put on varsity in high school. And you're like, wait a minute, dude, you know, <laughs> tell us about, you know, you're the most amazing athlete of our time, you know what I mean? But he's still thinking about that. And so having a chip on your shoulder is a, is a weapon. It's very powerful when it can drive you forward. People criticizing me, people telling me I can't do it. You know, I'm just like, oh yeah, oh yeah. 
and then perseverance. And that's like, can you stay grounded and focused? To me, people are all the time like, why are you still focused on how do you do it? Well, to me, there's like, there's no choice. I want to be the greatest poker player of all time. That's my goal. I'm ingrained in that. And I can only do it by winning tournaments, basically, or, or winning a lot of money on television and cash games, which I think I've won 27 out of my last 28 times on the televised cash games. So you just keep winning and winning and winning and winning. And you hope eventually someone says you're the greatest of all time. A lot of people have said that about me, but I'm taking some criticism from some other top players that have kind of attacked my resume. And I've seen this going on in the poker world, Phil. And I just got to say, like, I feel like sometimes these guys that are attacking you are in, in a lot of ways, they're just trying to get attention themselves. And I see, I feel like it gets your goat a little more than it has to, because you've got the numbers, you've got scoreboard on your side. All you got to do is point at the scoreboard and say, here's my results. Here's my record. And clearly, at least in the tournament side of things, you are the greatest player that there's ever been. And so you've got that, uh, that credential. And um, I don't think you need to fight back so hard against some of these, these guys. These guys are politicians, though. They just like nice it. You know, I mean, literally, there's politicians. They spin everything to, to try to take it away from me, take it away from me, take it away from me. And I'm just like, and it's pissed off a lot of people besides me, which is good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I wish I could just point to the scoreboard and shut up, but I can't because you're attacking my legacy. I have to fight back. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the chip on your shoulder that you described for you, for guys like Michael Jordan and others, it strengthens your desire. It strengthens a person's desire. And to me, like champions all have a really strong inner drive. And that certainly is one thing that I think people like you and Michael Jordan would have in common for sure, that inner drive to be great, to be the best at what you do and to win. So at what point, Phil, do you think that you realize that your impact in the world would transcend poker? 2002, uh, there was a guy who came up to me, found me. He was kind of like, he had some pretty cool energy. And he kind of found me and stopped me. And back then, people could stop us poker players. We weren't super known. And he's like, Phil, he said, I was in a coma. And I came out of the coma because I imagined playing you heads up. And I'm like, whoa, uh, maybe this was 03 or 04. We were already starting to be on television a little bit more. And I thought, wow, I inspire a lot of people. And I started thinking about that. I started thinking, what inspires me? What inspires me is watching Michael Jordan do things no one else can do. What inspires me is watching Tiger Woods cut a seven iron 240 yards out of the rough around a tree and around a lake and putting it to 10 feet and then making the eagle putt. What inspires me is watching human beings do something that only a few people can do, right? And so that means to me, that's living at your app, at the potential of what a human being can live at. And I'm making these folds on television that no one else can do. And so I'm like, all right, I am inspiring a lot of people. People are watching me because they want to see greatness. And of course, they want to see me blow up. That's fair. <laughs> they want to see me. But I can inspire a lot of people with the greatness I show at the table, with doing things no one else can do at the table. And so, yeah, at that point, I realized, wow, I'm inspiring tons of people. And, you know, and then it became more of, all right, how can I increase 
that inspirational aspect while just doing what you're doing. Just keep winning world championships, keep winning world championships, keep winning world championships. And I also knew that I was going to write a book that there was going to be life tips that anybody could use, life tips that allowed me, a low self-esteem guy, right, who ostensibly, who on the surface had nothing going for them, but then became the greatest poker player of all, tournament poker player of all time. Maybe the greatest poker player of all time. Someone who's joined, you know, 15 advisory boards and helped a ton of companies. Someone who's written a New York Times bestselling book. Someone who's accomplished all the things that I've accomplished in life. How did I get there? Well, let me write a book talking about the techniques, the methods, the tips that everyone else can use to raise their lives up. Yeah. And your book is Positivity. I've got it right here for anyone watching this. And it's an easy book to read. It's short. It's very thin. Uh, Hold it up a sec. Look who's on the back of that book. I mean... Yeah, I know you got Tony Robbins uh, has uh, endorsed it. Sheryl Sandberg here as well, along with Draymond Green. So you've got some pretty amazing people in the world in in diverse fields that have endorsed the book. And it's your third book. So you wrote... Your first book was a poker book play poker with the pros. Then you wrote your autobiography, which is Poker Brat. And then now you have Positivity. You're impacting the world by sharing. There was another book in there called, oh, it was a column compilation that I wrote, Bad Beats and Lucky Draws. Okay. So, but does that, still took a couple hundred hours to write that, but that was basically taking columns and turning them into a book. Yeah. And so you're impacting people through writing books. You're impacting people through advising companies. You're impacting people through just being the best at what you do and inspiring people in that way. It's cool just to see you spreading your influence out beyond just poker. Yeah. And, you know, the positivity one, I mean, Tony Robbins tells people to buy my book in his advanced seminars. What? You couldn't make this up. I'm like, when I found out, Tony didn't tell me this. Somebody else told me this. There was, I was in DC and this guy's like, oh, you have to hang out 15, 20 more minutes. I just wanted to go to bed. You have to meet my girlfriend. Everybody's stopping me. Everybody wants time. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like 1.30 in the morning and I just want to go to bed, but I don't have the heart to tell the guy, no, I'm not going to hang around for 15 minutes waiting to meet your girlfriend. You know what I mean? So I did it. And you know, he just had so much enthusiasm and positivity. I did it. She's like, Phil, I have to tell you, I'm such a big fan. And Tony Robbins told us to buy your book in a <laughs> seminar last week in Florida. And I'm like, yes, it's a good thing I hung out, you know, this extra 20 minutes because I was just like, this is amazing. And Cheryl read it and she's like, Phil, this is incredible. That was amazing what she wrote in the back of the book. Can you read that? Yeah. Cheryl wrote that uh, Phil Helmuth lets down his poker face and shares the personal strategies that helped him achieve success as a world-class poker player and best-selling author. His easy-to-follow but powerful tips will inspire you to achieve your own dreams and incorporate positivity into everything you do. And like Cheryl it. writing that was amazing for me and because and she read it. It's only 70 minutes. I'm like, Cheryl take a look at this. Maybe you can give me a jacket blurb if you like it. It only takes 70 minutes. She read it and uh, she sent that. And I was just like, this is sweet. And so, you know, I mean, that book has changed a lot of people's lives and that's what, that's the intent, right? I want this book around a hundred years from now because it's truth. Truth sells, truth changes people, truth makes things better. Truth and digging into your relationships 
with your wife, truth and digging into your relationships with the people you grew up with and seeing truth, 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 truth. And when you see the truth, you get a better understanding of who you are, a better sense of who you are. And on this level, when it comes to eight life tips, I'm just going to say that one of those life tips that's changed a lot of people's lives is I will tell people, write down your yearly goals, 2021 goals in this case, write them down, take a day to make sure they're in the proper order, put them on a sheet of paper, print them out and tape it to your bathroom mirror. And all these people, people from our group that you introduced me to have come up and said, Phil, my wife read your book. She put this on her mirror and she achieved her top two goals. And so, but that's, but that's just from our group, but all over the world, people are doing this and they're achieving their goals. And just think about it. Just sitting on your bathroom mirror, you know, you brush your teeth every day. You see this list, your mind actively reads it the first week or two. And then after a month, you don't even notice it, but your unconscious and subconscious mind do notice it. You've woken up in the morning, you're in your most powerful state. Your mind is fresh. It's ready to go. And right away, boom, that list of goals is right there. It's activating your mind and leading you to great things. And so that's one of my, and I have one more that I want to share, Dan, and I think now would be a good time from that book. Yeah, hold sure. That book up. Hold that book up. Yeah. I like that you start out, Phil, with the ideas of writing down your goals and blessings. Now look at that book. You're always positive. You're always in the right place at the right time. Hold that up one more time. Subtitle, you're always in the right place at the right time. And so people are like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, everybody that I hang out with, all these billionaires, all these people that are running the world have gotten there, all right, because they understand they're in the right place at the right time every day, every moment, okay? And here's the example that helps a lot of people think about this more clearly. You have two guys in a house, all right, both have the same family, both have whatever, two daughters, two sons. And they tell their wife and their children, this is my dream of opening a sports bar. They lay out the eight reasons why the sports bar is going to make it. The first guy says, Martha, please pass the peas. I got that concept of someone coming up with their dream and then passing and not doing anything about it. Martha, please pass the peas. It's the dinner table. Uh, the wife passes the peas over to the husband. The guy eats the peas. The, the idea is done. It's gone. Okay. Meanwhile, next door, this guy lays out the eight reasons why he wants to start an incredible sports bar that can't miss, right? What does he do? Makes a mental note. Tomorrow, on the way home from work, stop by your favorite sports bar. They're both in the right place. They're both in the right time. But one guy's decided to take one step forward. And as he walks into the sports bar that next day at 5.30 after a day of work, he opens that door. And for the people watching, imagine the seven or eight figurative doors behind that, right? You've opened that door, right? Hold up the book. I like the concept of the door. There it is. You've opened that door. Well, as you walk into that sports bar, anything could happen, right? You could end up buying that sports bar from the owner because he likes you. He could end up saying, wow, I don't have anybody to mentor. No one's come to me. No one's interested in what I do. You are. I'm going to take you under my wing. Maybe he leads you to a third door, which is financing for your bar. Maybe he leads you to a fourth door, partnering up to start a bar. And so just in opening that door. So that's why I tell people you're always in the right place at the right time. You just have to 
identify your dream, identify the ideas, and take the first step. It's easy. I love it. I love it, Phil. Really cool stuff. And then you've also got a concept in here that you mentioned a little bit earlier that you call the pyramid for success, which strikes me as like a building block of habits and actions that you want to take. And there's sort of four fundamental ones and then three that build on that and two that build on that and one that builds on all of them. And that in sort of elevating yourself up this pyramid of success, you're moving yourself in the direction of your goals. Is that a good it's nice. So when people at home are listening to this and they're like, hey, I want to, I want to do this. I want to be this. This is where I want to go. There's a destination. Okay. Then it's a matter of how do I get from here where I am now to here? Okay. Well, in the case of me deciding to be move from a poker player from Madison, Wisconsin to, to a great poker player. That was, okay, let's take a look at, so I, I kind of put it in the, in the concept of a pyramid, right? And at the bottom, let's give up playing Baccarat. Let's give up playing Blackjack. No more casino games. Right. Alcohol is going to lead to my ultimate destruction if I drink too much of it. Drugs, no good. Now, it's changed a little bit. Drugs in the 80s versus drugs now. A lot more people are open to ayahuasca or whatever. But the point is, you know, you shouldn't probably be doing drugs every day <laughs> if you want to become great at something. And then, you know, the next level is I, I should be working out. And, and so, so you kind of identify stuff that you should be doing. And you can just take a look at this sheet of paper, pull it out once a week and say, all right, how am I progressing? Okay, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't, good. I'm doing this good. I'm doing this good. Right. And then, you know, on the top level for me, money management, but money management could probably be on the top level for almost anybody in any profession how you manage your money, right? I mean, you know this, Dan, you have a guy that you have two guys are both 60 years old and they both made exactly the same amount of money. They both lived in very similar houses and somehow one guy has 10 million put away and the other guy is like living paycheck to paycheck, right? Now, I'm not going to tell people that the guy who has 10 million put away, you know, maybe he didn't spend enough money. Maybe he didn't have enough fun in this life. But I will tell you, the guy that's still living paycheck to paycheck fucked up, right? This guy's fucked up. He's made some big mistakes and he needs to correct them all in the next few years. Or in the case of my book, start early in correcting your money management. So I'm not preaching, don't spend any money, save everything. I'm preaching, don't have yourself living paycheck to paycheck. If you're in your 20s, don't be living paycheck to paycheck by the time you're 50 or 45 or whatever. That's what I'm preaching. Yeah, I think for anybody in any field uh, who gets to 50 or 60 years old and they're broke, they messed up. They messed up somewhere along the lines for sure. And there are habits we can establish. There are actions we can start taking at a young age that move us in the right direction. Your concept of the pyramid for success is to identify what those are and identify which ones build on the others and then be able to move through those. I think that's a really cool concept that anybody can take to heart and can create their own pyramid for success. Of course, I love all of the, you know, writing down of the goals and the blessings and pinning those things up and the, the, those sorts of concepts that you share early in the book. Any other important keys you feel to success or positivity that you'd want to share? Well, you know, I mean, we're talking about positivity. And so, I mean, I didn't go into the blessings thing. I'll do that quickly. The other concept that I've, I've been hugely behind is writing down a list of your blessings and also taping that to your bathroom mirror. So take a day, make sure the blessings are right. I can save your time 
And I can tell you that number one is always going to be health. If you don't have health, you don't have anything. So if you have good health or average health, you're still going to put that at the top of your list. Bad health, maybe not. But but maybe even then, having having some kind of health is really important. And then family. And so you, it's easy to lose track of, oh, I didn't get this promotion. Oh, I'm not making enough money. Oh, this guy isn't as good as me. He's making more money. There's too much negativity out there in the average person's lives. And what you, what you should really be thinking about is why am I blessed every day, right? And when you have that list of blessings, for me, it's health. And then my wife and my kids' health and my wife and my kids and then their health, whatever. That's the top three. And then after that, it's all right. Now I'm going to focus on 15 bracelets or whatever, right? And I'll put my house on that list. I'll put used to be my car. It used to be, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, that that you have. And But if you look at the top three blessings, it always seems to be health and family. And we all have that in common. And, you know, that's one thing that helps me when my ego started to run a little bit amok. I mean, all these amazing A-list actors want to hang out with me. They're inviting me to their parties, right? And all this amazing, all these amazing things that happen to me on a daily basis, right? And if I focus on the movie, the move, my life is an amazing movie. It's a world-class movie. Then I'm fucked. Sorry to swear, but I'm I'm fucked. You know, what I need to focus on is hey, I have great health and and I have an amazing wife who's put up with me for 31 years and, and made me grow a lot. I have great kids, great friends. Great friends, that's way up there on the list. And so maybe that is number four. And those are the things that we all can focus on and all be happy about. And so when you leave in the morning, when you're brushing your teeth, and right before you leave in the morning, there's that list of 2021 goals, and there's that list of blessings. And one's kind of going to kind of make you happy, and one's going to make you more focused on what's important to you. Mm. Great stuff, Phil. I like it a lot. I'm grateful to have you sharing insights here with the Cutco Vector audience. You you do have a random Cutco connection in that about 20 years ago or so, a young man came over your house and sold you some Cutco. And that young man turned out to be none other than Mr. Hal Elrod. Is that yeah, right? that was really, that's really weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he and I connected through you, which was pretty yeah. cool. I did, his, I did his podcast. But yeah, that was a weird one. But I mean, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it becomes less and less weird. These random connections and interactions become less and less weird to me. It's like I expect great things to happen. And then all these weird connections just seem to unfold. I do think it's, a, it's an element of serendipity that happens when you just build relationships and you put your best foot forward every day and you offer the gifts that you have to the world and to others. I think that it circles back to you many times over. And I think that's happened for you. I think it's happened for me. Many times over. People have been incredibly generous with me. I mean, I, I'm just always shocked at how generous people have been with me. And I'm very thankful for it. I've tried to buy in my industry. I tried to buy every professional poker player I ever went to dinner with. Dinner through the 80s, 90s, 2000s. You know, I always try to be the guy paying for dinner because I'm the top of the field. You know, I've been blessed with all this money and and that generosity has paid itself back hundreds of folds by the generosity that I'm exposed to. It's crazy. Yeah. And so it's been a lot of fun. I want to just say, I know we're getting near the end. I do want to say one last thing. You are what you think. You become what you think. What you think becomes reality. Growing up with that in my bathroom mirror every day, that my mom had that there. 
made me think that I have control over my own reality from an early age. And that was very helpful because it was ingrained into my mind from day one. And I think that that's led to a lot of great things for me. And I, I think that the people out there listening to this should understand that they have a huge control over reality. And the quicker that they seize that, the quicker they understand the concept and seize control, the better off they will be. Such a great insight, Phil. What lies ahead for Phil Helmuth? Well, I'm doing, a, I'm seeing an event. I charge 50000 a day for events. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing an event. I've done all the big companies, Microsoft, Samsung, Netflix. I mean, I'm doing one for Tiger Global this weekend. And then I'm looking forward to coming home. It's been kind of a long trip, Vegas slash New York. And then I've got the Negroni match. We play for $400,000. The company stuff has been amazing for me, advising all these companies, adding value. That's been fun. And it looks now like I may sign a huge deal with a crypto, a new crypto company, a new crypto coin. And they want me to go to Miami. So that's just a little bit too much travel for me. But, but uh, if I sign, I'll do it. Yeah. And poker-wise, the goal is uh, 24 bracelets? Yeah, 24 world championships. That's the bracelets, World Series of Poker bracelets. We call them world championships. That's been my goal. And I'm going to keep plugging away and I'm going to keep showing up and, and working hard to achieve that goal. And it feels like 99% of the world thinks I'm the greatest of all time in poker. But, you know, the 1%'s hitting me. They're slapping me around. And I, so I'll probably play a few more events just to show them that, hey, I can play. <laughs> well, don't worry too much about that 1%, Phil. Like I said, you've got the scoreboard on your side. You're making a powerful impact way beyond poker, which I really compliment you for. I'm grateful to be able to count you as a friend and be able to spend some times together once in a while. And I really appreciate you sharing your influence with this audience, Phil. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dan. Good luck, everybody. All right. Phil Helmuth, everybody. So cool to see the evolution of the poker brat persona and how that came from Phil's days as a kid competing with his younger brothers and sisters and wanting to impress his parents and his father and blowing up when he didn't win because he's supposed to be winning. He's the oldest kid, right? And now that's carried over into poker. It's probably something that in some ways Phil can control at times, but it's also become a part of who he is and he's very much authentic in the moment. And I think that there's something that's endearing about that as well. The chip on his shoulder that he described and how that turns into desire, right? Phil might refer to it as a chip on his shoulder. I would probably reframe that into a strong desire to succeed. Either way, that is such an important concept in life. If you want to be able to be successful, you've got to have that internal drive to succeed and a feeling of deserving success. Phil has worked hard at his craft to feel like he deserves success as well. The reading ability that he described as you know what separates him. I just made a note to say that if you want to understand people better, pay attention. And it's the people that pay attention and become detail-oriented, develop a clearer and clearer understanding of the world around them. And that can help you with your reading ability whether it's in poker or in any other area of life. Phil mentioned that what he's inspired by are people who are performing at their best, showing what's possible. And he wants to be someone who does that in his field, 
but also has the ability now to be someone who helps others to do that through his inspiration and through his teaching. His latest book is called Positivity. It's available on Amazon.com. He talks in there about identifying your goals and your blessings, writing them down, pinning them up, creation of the blocks of your pyramid for success. I think that's a great exercise that anybody could do here following this podcast episode today. And then also be the person who acts. Once you have these goals and you've identified the habits or actions in your pyramid for success, be the one who acts on all of that stuff. Not just somebody who thinks about it, but the one who actually does it. Bill and I both support a couple of new organizations that have been founded by Cutco Vector alums. Download the app Cash Live. It's a free-to-play poker game that takes 15 minutes to play where you can win real money. It's really fun and you don't have to be a poker player to learn how to play and have fun with it. Cash Live was founded by Matt Jarvis, who sold Cutco in Canada and who also made the WSOP main event final table back in 2010. Also, if you saw Phil's televised heads-up matches against Daniel Negranu, you saw him drinking Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel was started by former Silver Cup branch manager Colton Horn. You can learn more about it and get a discount code for 35% off by visiting changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. Be sure to check out Phil's third match against Daniel for a whopping $400,000, which will be televised live on Poker Go. That's on Wednesday, June 23rd. Hey, to honor Phil and his mother, we'll end with the quote that his mother taped to his bathroom mirror when he was a child. You are what you think. You become what you think. What you think becomes your reality. Think about great things, take action, and make all your goals a reality. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 